0: Maybe don't this time, this time, this
1: time, this time, this time, this time, this
0: time, this time, this time, this time,
1: this time, this time, this time, this time,
0: What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 130 of the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am back here in Lander, Wyoming, after a rather successful CWA summit where I got to learn a lot of things. I got to talk to a lot of people. Um, including Tony Yeniro. That was kind of a crazy, exciting conversation in which he somehow agreed to do the podcast at some point in the future. So hopefully I will be reconnecting with Tony to do that. Um, you guys know how I love the history of this thing. And uh, lots, of, lots of really great, productive meetings. My talk went really well, and I'm just really excited for the future of this thing. Um It was kind of fun to be able to step aside and, you know, step away from the helm of this thing and watch it as it sort of blows up. I mean, it was really exciting talking to people. That's all I'm going to say for now. Um, But look for some really cool things coming in the future. Um, And actually, in the very near future, like two days from when you're hearing this, we will have our spring limited line of tanks on the website. Um, We've gone colorful, uh, Euro colors, really inspired and chosen by two of the athletes that I work with from Canada, Kim and Graham, who many of you may know as Kimstagram on the Instagrams. They helped choose some colors because I've definitely gone down the black and gray path. And between Kim and Graham and Lana, I was forced into colors. And actually, I kind of like it. So those will be on the website along with a new t-shirt that is our Elements logo. That will be a permanent fixture and it will be on the website as well within a couple of days of you hearing this, so be on the lookout. The tanks are limited and they will go fast, so get in there and get yours. Today's conversation is part one of a two-part conversation with professional climber, adventurer, absolute comedian, and all-around just badass Maureen Beck. And we go a little bit into Maureen's history here Um, so I'm not going to go into that. I'm going to let her introduce herself and um, this recording happened at Outdoor Retailer nearly a year ago at this point and uh, then we reconnected in the fall in the Red River Gorge to record part two. So I'm not really going to tell you any more about it. You're just going to have to listen. Let's get into it.
1: At the end of the day, all the work I do, whether it's getting my personal story out there or whether it's competing, if someone with one leg can walk into a climbing gym and no one notices because it's just like that's a normal thing, then my job is done. Like, the people that have re- kind of reached out and, like, stalked me, like, oh, you're you. It turns out they also, <laughs> like, oh, and by the way, I do this cool thing within the industry. Right. Um, right.
0: That's one of the cool things mm-hmm. here. And, I mean, but people still do fanboy and fangirl out. Yeah. When they... See the yeah, stars, and I apologize so. for every
1: person that I've been like, thanks, I don't know what to say. Like, <laughs> I need to work on my delivery of, like, because it is generally awesome. I love it when someone stops and says, I thought that was really cool. I really enjoyed your movie, because that's such a compliment, Yeah, and it's, it's you know, it's great to hear, but I never know what to say other than, like, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, totally. So, I wanted to just talk about, like, the upcoming trip, the mm-hmm. training you're doing for it, the, the paraclimbing paragliding stuff and how that looks going forward what that team looks like you know we talked a little bit the other day and it just sounds so exciting and (laughs) cool um but first just for anybody who doesn't know who you are which i can't imagine there's anyone listening to this podcast who doesn't already know that give me just a little bit of background um and then we kind of go from there
1: yeah so um i've been climbing since i was 12 So I'm actually closing it on the 20-year mark, which is terrifying. That's
0: crazy. I had no idea.
1: Yeah, Um, at Girl Scout camp. I went to a cool Girl Scout camp.
0: Yeah, apparently.
1: um, Where climbing was just one of the activities you rotated through. Yeah. Um, And I just kind of fell in love with it instantly, and I was really lucky. I grew up on the coast of Maine. So after camp was over, I lived right outside of Acadia. So I was saving my babysitting money to hire a guy. My parents are not climbers. They're still not. So, And it's not really... Then especially it wasn't like a strong climbing community. It was me saving my babysitting money to hire a guide from the one guide shop to like carry yeah. me around. Yeah, um, and you know, like most hobbies, it kind of waxed and waned for a while. And then when I got to college, it was like, okay, this is the thing that I'm gonna do. Probably yep. for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> cool. And was the hand a, a thing from birth?
1: Yeah, I was, was born without my that hand. Um, yeah, my grandma says that God was drunk when I got put together. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> <R>. Grandma. <laughs> but um, yeah, they don't know why. I was just—it was a surprise. Yeah. Um, and you know, all credit to my parents. They're just like, Wow, well, that's interesting, but like, we're not going to do anything different." Like, I was their first child too. And so I'm sure they had read all these books and how these plans and how they're going to be parents. Right. And they're like, well, this doesn't really change it. So like, let's just keep. We already have trying. the
0: blueprint. So <laughs> yeah, like, like, we're let's just not pivot with it it. at this
1: point. Um, so they taught me to be very independent. Like they made me, you know, learn to tie my own shoes ahead of time and like all this other stuff that, you know, they could have just been like, oh, no, let me do that for you. They were very much teaching me that I was my own person and you know, in the end I had to be my own advocate was probably their bigger message. which sure. I either have to learn how to do things on my own or advocate for myself to get the help I need, but they would never just swoop in and do something for me. Yeah. Or sometimes even if I asked, they'd be like, no, you're just being lazy. You're going to do that in your own.
0: Right. So where does the word disability fit into you? I know it's a word that's thrown around. Mm-hmm. Is it a word that you use?
1: I, I use it now. Like I still don't really consider myself disabled. Right. Um, like college applications. I don't think I checked the single box where it was like, do you have a disability? I was just like, no, nah, not really. Right. <laughs> um, but then the more I've gotten involved with what's more known as the adaptive community, because mm. um, I think that implies an, an active disabled community, so it's adaptive, Yeah. the more I was like, well, okay, I'll admit, I'm not quite all there physically and mentally. In in
0: several ways. In several ways.
1: Um, And the more I just embrace that kind of truth rather than just being a punk about it, um, I've been able to open so many more doors. Like I have so many more friends now before, like I would refuse to do disabled events and like identify that way. And now that I kind of opened myself up to it, it's totally fine.
0: From that first like Girl Scout event or Girl Scout camp where you climbed, was it obvious to you from then that Climbing was something that you could excel in, or was it more that it was just a mega challenge for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what excelling in climbing was. Like, sure, there were no climbing magazines where it was. Yeah. This is before the internet. Um, I mean, like, I probably hadn't seen Cliffhanger because it was rated R and I was twelve. <laughs> like, that I was
0: definitely think... my introduction to rock climbing.
1: <laughs> like, I didn't. I don't think I knew what rock climbing was. Yeah, um, and I just really liked it. And I, you know, and I. I always did like doing things that would seem hard. Um so like I played soccer, but I was the goalie just to like right. kinda give the world an cool. up yours. And so climbing seemed like a natural fit, like, oh yeah, this should be hard, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, but with climbing I actually really liked it. Like there's mm-hmm. something about it that was different than soccer. So yeah, it started out as a I can do this because you think I can't, but then after that first climb I was like, Oh, I actually really like this. Yeah. Don't know why. Still don't know why. But Yeah, it's interesting about it.
0: to me that you chose the one position that can use their hands and then you choose this sport that's very much upper body mm-hmm. um oriented um and i think that says a lot about your character period i mean it would be very easy with you with a lot of the adaptive people who've who i've met with and it's an amazing community um to just not even notice you know, and that's how it was with the first time I met Craig, I was like, I know this guy's face, you know, and it didn't even occur to me until halfway through the day. I was like, oh yeah, that's, he's totally an adaptive athlete, yeah. which I just didn't even recognize it. You I know? mean, if
1: that's what happens and I think we're doing it right, like yeah. at the end of the day, all the work yeah. I do, whether it's getting my personal story out there or whether it's competing, if someone with one leg can walk into a climbing gym and no one notices because it's just like that's a normal thing, yeah. then my job is done. Yeah, so, and like, I
0: think I grew yeah. up in a place that everyone just felt sorry for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like it was this weird little neighborhood where everyone still lives there, you know, that I grew up with, and they all love to talk about how hard life is for mm-hmm. them. So I think that's just the paradigm that I'm used to used to seeing like everyone complaining about whatever it is that's wrong in their life, you know. So it's exciting for me to see this whole community of people not even pay attention to yeah, what a lot of the world I think calls. We all, a this group all
1: makes each other better because it's like, don't get me wrong, everyone loves a good bitch fest. But then totally. these people are then like, okay, well I'm gonna do something about it or like mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna push myself and push others. Um and it's you know part of our job too also should be to try to reach those people that are unhappy but maybe aren't helping themselves and and maybe not, like, do the job for them, but try to, like, open their eyes to, like, you know... It's actually it's actually relatively easy to make small changes in your life. Yeah. Whether it's through climbing or just finding some other kind of passion, but...
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then, so, you were mostly sport climber. Is mm-hmm. that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I dabbled in trad. Acadia has lots of trad. But, yep. um, you know, when I started really, really climbing, it was Romney. Or yeah. it was, like, bolted routes in Conway. Um, you know, some trad climbing in the Adirondacks and stuff, but it was sure. never... My comfort zone, I was mostly a follower, not a leader because it just seemed, it's hard enough to clip a bolt with one hand on lead Right to to find a position where I could like take the time fiddle to plug with, gear and fiddle, with, gear, fiddle yeah. with it. I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to be a 5'2", track climber the rest of my life and that's okay. Yeah. So sport became the place where yeah. I was like, this is a more comfortable way to push myself and push my, my skills. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and now things mm-hmm. have sort of been flipped on their head, so to speak, that you're... I mean, your film is out. Mm-hmm. You reached the sport climbing goal. Now you're headed in a totally different direction. Yeah. Talk to me about how that all came about. Well,
1: after I sent my first twelve, I was like, "I'm gonna do more of these. Like, climbing hard is stupid fun. I, right. I, I actually like projecting. It might not be cool to say that, but I kind of no, like it. I think it, it is
0: cool.
1: So. <laughs> like, yeah, it gets boring, but I really like it. Um, and you know, I like track climb a couple times. You're like, I go to the creek and buttevu, but like, that's not. That's also not like real track climbing where you can just plug stuff in cracks like right it's not that scary because you can just plug and chug mm-hmm. um but like i avoid eldo like the plague that place terrifies me right yeah because <laughs> that's like real drag climbing um so yeah i was just gonna keep cranking um until i got a call from this stranger this like older guy with one leg who says he's a climber and it's his that life. would
0: sound weird coming from anyone else I got a call from this strange old guy with one leg. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's so, like the one leg like, part was probably the most normal part, like most yeah, like, yeah. regular part of my life. Um, and he's just like, yeah, I lost my leg a couple of years ago. I was a climber before um, and I really want to do this big trip. And I think it would be cool if I did it with another adaptive person and someone gave me your name. Um, I was actually the third person on his list, it turns out. So, Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He had so, just
0: gotten shot down from Yeah, people else. were returning
1: his calls and I was just the first person oh, who was no. like, yeah, I'll consider it. Um, and I think I actually, actually like said yes right away uh, once I kind of found out he wasn't a total sketchball. Right. Because um, I was like, if I think about it, I'm going to say no. And the reasons I would say no wouldn't be good. They'd be like, oh, it's not my style. Or I've never done that before. Yeah. Or, you, you know, being in the field for three weeks is outside of my comfort zone. And I realized those are pretty crap reasons to turn down something that's so big and potentially awesome. Mm-hmm. So I said yes without thinking of it, knowing that, okay, now there's this other person who's relying on me and now I'm stuck in a good way.
0: Yeah. So what is the trip? What are the goals?
1: Yeah. So that partner um, ended up being Jim Ewing, who has been climbing forever. Yeah. Um, you know, you've probably, if you're an East Coast climber, you've probably seen his name in guidebooks because he's one of those like old school crushers that no one's really heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's worked in the industry for decades. Um, and he, he lost his leg in a climbing accident about four years ago now. Um, and it's been on his list to go to the Circle of the Inclimables in Northwest Territories to do Lotus Flower Tower, which right. I think is one of like the top 50 North American yeah. classics, but I've never read that coffee table Such book. Such an
0: iconic. So
1: I had actually, been a sport wanker, I honestly hadn't heard of it.
0: <laughs> You're like, wait, is that in rifle? <laughs>
1: I don't know. It's just like, that sounds pretty, but like, and then, you know, <laughs> it's I got the
0: word flower in it. Yeah.
1: I think I might've even told him I would go before Googling it. And then I looked up the image and I was right. like, what have I done? Because this thing... Looks like this overhanging prow for thousands of feet, which it kind of is. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I was just like, "What have I done?" Hmm. Um. But it's it's crazy. It's this 18 pitch climb. It's a 2,000 foot face. But there's two pitches of 510 and one move of 11 minus, and the rest of it's like 57 through 59. Right. So it's actually, the more I talked myself through it, I'm like, I, ca- I can do this. Like we can do this. It's just gonna be a matter of like base fitness, getting comfortable on gear at that level. Yep. Um and just being comfortable with being dropped off by a helicopter and yeah, knowing lo- I'm not talking to anybody outside of my group for three weeks.
0: Yeah, and logistics are a major thing there. And you guys are employing someone who, you know, is probably the the best logistical person yeah, to have on yeah. the team. So which is
1: smart. Jim and I are pretty adamant that the climbing is just us. Yep. Um but Me especially, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know how many pairs of underwear to pack. Um, And so fortunately, this trip's being underwritten by Sterling, and they wanted a film out of it. Um, I take terrible photos and videos, and so they hired a filmmaker. (laughs) Um, And we're like, okay, well, the filmmaker needs a guy to help him up. And so we found Jim, I believe, knew um, Pat Goodman before, and he spent so much time up there. Um, is kind, that's kind of like his turf is the cirque and the vampires um, and he's just done so many of these expeditions and so he's definitely taking a lot of the stress off like sure I could have figured out a meal plan for four people for three weeks but it would have taken me forever right? and would probably just be lots of dehydrated lasagna Yeah. <laughs> um, and so Pat's been amazing he's just like here's the menu here's the packing list and yeah. so this is such a huge learning opportunity for me so that I can do this. And then hopefully when the opportunity comes again, I like I can do it on my own.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the really important part of it. Like you're the type of person who wants to learn it. And the best way to learn it is to watch someone do it. Who's really, really good at it. And Pat is a certified badass there. (laughs) So let him take care of all the logistics Mm -hmm. so that you can just climb. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, if it's something you love doing next time, you'll have the skill set.
1: And I think so. the older I get, the more comfortable I've been with saying, I don't know, I'm not the expert. Yeah. Like, I think it's, it's supposed to be cool to be like the expert in everything. Right. And you're never supposed to say you don't know or you can't. And now that I'm a little older, I'm like, wow, that is not my skill set. Yeah. So.
0: And that's how the big <laughs> things get done, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's very rarely just one person doing it all. It's usually a team of people who are good at specific things. Yeah. So that's really smart to have. Now, Jim just flew in to train with you a little bit ago, Mm -hmm. and it was like day after or two days after you quit your job and have taken on this full-time Yeah, so this whole whole
1: silly trip was um, kind of the catalyst in taking the plunge into full-time climber life. Um, Because I was like, man, I really want to train. The trip is all of August, and I'm just thinking I need to train all of July, like to have a shot at this Mm -hmm. being a pleasant trip. And then in September, right after I get back, I I want to do the world championships again. So I'm staring down the barrel of having to ask work off three months. And then by the time I was looking at three months, I'm like, well, it'd be kind of fun to come back in October and then just road trip the East Coast and climb. Um, So yeah, this trip was like the catalyst of, I think, you know, I can stay busy enough with my work through Paradox Sports and USA Climbing that I can then fill in with, you know, actual climbing. So I'm kind of doing what most people do when they're 23, except I'm in my 30s. I'm doing doing my road trips. Um, but yeah, so Jim came out. My last day work was a Wednesday. On Thursday, we headed out to do a 19 pitch climb up in Summit County, and yeah. that was a week. Uh, we didn't do anything too. Was well, that your
0: first time climbing together?
1: So we actually spent Christmas together in Las okay. Vegas.
0: Cool. Um,
1: which was my first Christmas in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Vegas is a trip on, on Christmas. Is. The climbing's incredible. It's perfect weather, and then you see there's like a thousand Santas on the Strip. So. <laughs> <laughs> Vegas as a climbing destination is, is just wild. Um, and that's when we first learned, and that was actually also crazy. I had, like, a stupid early flight. He picked me up at the airport at 7, and we went straight out and did, like, 10 pitches that day, like, nice. right from the airport. Um, and that's when we knew, like, okay, we can climb together, I think. And then this last trip in Colorado, that was a full week of just focusing on our mostly transitions because, like, you can learn – trag climbing or get more comfortable on it with anybody. But what we yeah. had to work on was when we interact with each other, which is our transition yeah.
0: dial um, in those moments.
1: And we also had fun. So the Colorado trip was where we we're just like, okay, so we can do this and be friends.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. that I think that's really smart. Have a lot of fun first time. Yeah, so that it's not all business, so that you know how to joke with each other, you know how to lighten the mood. Yeah,
1: we're very different personalities, too. Yeah? Different generations, different personalities, and I and we work together.
0: So you have, like, staunch old guy? He's
1: classic New England, I would yeah. say. Yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I would love to, and I, I hope that the film shows some of this, of you two interacting yeah, yeah. and how he's, that looks. He's,
1: he's pre, you know, he's an engineer. He's pretty serious, classic New England, yeah. and I'm... You know i'm from we're actually both from maine but um i'm in every way i would say the opposite i'm a little more fast and loose i guess with a lot of things yeah (laughs) so um but you know he brings that seriousness to his climbing and Mm -hmm. all the skills and background he's had um and so again like not only learning logistics and big trip planning from pat but now i can learn true mountain sense from someone like jim right Um, and i know he'll keep us safe Because he's done this before, you know, he wants to bag the summit, but he's not going to make bad decisions on the way.
0: Right. Sure. That's important. too.
1: Whereas like, yeah, I'm new at this. I'd be like, we could totally do eight more pitches before that storm moves in. Why not? So
0: So for training for this, uh, did you sort of let Jim say, here's what we need to do? Did you sort
1: of plans Yeah, of so we each kind of have the... our own plans on the side. Okay. Um, so for him, it was mostly base fitness because through his amputation and his accident, he lost yeah. a lot of that. Yep. So and he's been climbing so long, it's like riding a bike. Like he'll have no problem climbing the pitches. For him, it's like, man, I got to drop like 25, 30 pounds to right. do happy, be happy at this. Yep. For me, it was a little bit of base fitness because there's, you know, we're cheating, we're helicoptering into Fairy Meadows, but there's still an hour approach with full racks. Yep. Um, and I just didn't want to be bushed Before a huge climb, just from the hike. But for me, my training was mostly lots and lots of time on different rock, more Mm on-siting, kind of toning down my grades a little bit. Like I said, I love flailing on stuff above my pay grade. Right. But this was the summer of, okay, tone it down. Get solid at five eights again, like anything below 11, pull the rope and lead it. Even if it's sport, like yeah. it wasn't just trad. It was just like get sure. on as much miles as you can. Yeah,
0: And get super comfortable moving quickly yeah. over rock.
1: And then near the end of that was just like, okay, now take all this you've been doing and, and do it on gear. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been lots of time in the South Platte, um, a little bit of time in Rocky mountain. I actually got, in my base fitness training, I got an IT band injury. So I'm actually <sighs> trying to not do a lot of hiking right now. So right. a lot of my stuff is just kind of cooking um, in the summer on the front range on trad routes, but
0: yeah, I mean, got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. So I've gone through a lot of sunscreen this summer. Um, but yeah, so like we're training as if it's action, action, action. We know that we could spend all three weeks in the tent and rain, right? Like this place doesn't have the best weather. We're going in the best time of year possible, right? But it's not known for lots of sunshine. Um,
0: yeah. And that'll be another benefit of having Pat there is he'll be able to read the weather Probably yeah. better than any other climber who's yeah, there. Yeah, and
1: that, know? and then it's just, like, you can't train for boredom. Right. Like, I if we actually are spending a week straight in a tent, which we could, like, that's a new territory that's just going to have to happen. Yeah, so.
0: totally. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the risk of all these kind of expeditions. You know, you don't get to look at the weather around the front range and choose which crag you're going to based on what the weather looks like so
1: yeah our best case for bad weather is we'll do some like third class scrambles and peak bag or something but um who knows maybe climate change will work in a favor up there and and that's actually getting drier yeah yeah could be (laughs) could be a dry summer
0: when do you leave for the trip
1: we leave august 3rd
0: how are you how are you feeling like your chances are? Because that's just a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, I think they're I think they're pretty good. Like, you know, when you look at the pitch to pitch, there's nothing. there's no showstoppers. Yeah. Um and even if that crux eleven minus move is wet, which it often is, it's just like we'll aid through it. Like sure. there's nothing, you know, obviously we're gonna try and free it, but like we'd rather just get to the top, but that's yeah. fine. Um you know, by the time you pay for the helicopter out there, you wanna get to the top. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> mm-hmm um i'm feeling good so i think a lot of it will come down to weather so our ideal trip would be to fire off lotus within the first few days or few a week like maybe do do a half day or we just like dial it because there's this um big ledge kind of breaking up the climb in the middle and so it would be great to just like dial to that ledge the yeah. first 10 pitches so then when it's go time you just fly we'll just through run, that yeah um so yeah i would love it if week one we do the tower Films done, objectives tagged, <laughs> like we're done. Um, and then we keep getting good weather to do some possible first ascents. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff right in the valley has been done, but it's still remote enough that if you just hike for two, three hours, you'll have some first ascents. And I think it'd be sure. really cool to get some like gimpy, gimpy first ascents
0: yeah. too. That'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm stoked to hear how it goes. We'll have to sit down again after Yeah. Um, and talk about the trip. But you've got this other sort of bipolar goal <laughs> Like mm-hmm. you're going on big giant, climbing a ton of easy ish rock and then you've got world championships. Yeah. How long after you get back are world championships? I think I'm
1: I think I'm home for a week before I fly to Austria. Whoa. So it's been I think that's been the crux of the bigger experience was yeah. I'm pretty competitive and I'm the defending world champ and I'm having to be real with myself that, you know, I might not win this year because yeah. I'm instead not just training for worlds and I'm spending the month prior not training for worlds. Yeah. Um, I can't not go like it's, it's, I can't miss it. I love it. Um, I think I'll still have a good shot at a medal, and you know, our our American team's amazing. I would never miss it, but I'm trying to prep myself for being disappointed with not winning. I might pull it out. I don't know, but
0: how are you trying (laughs) to prep yourself? What are you, what's the self talk there?
1: uh, I don't know. like, I also know I'll still be mad at myself, like, even though.
0: I think that's really important. (laughs) Recognize that you're going to be pissed off. If I give up now,
1: then, like, what's the point of even trying? But, like, um, I'll still be mad at myself. And, like, Mm -hmm. I'm telling my husband that, too. It's, like, I'm, like, I'm expecting to lose, but you should expect tears. Like, I'll be upset. Yeah. Um,
0: Expect fury for a few days and like You know, even
1: though I have, like, a perfectly valid excuse, like, you know. Sean McCall is not alpine climbing for a month before he goes to Worlds. He's right, right. cranking plastics. So,
0: and there is a moment where every defending world champion is no longer world yeah. champion. you know, it just happens. No, it's I thought I was done happen. after
1: Paris. I was like, all right, I won two now. I should, I should be done. And then it's got sucked back in because it's really fun. But yeah, um, yeah it's it's hard. Um, my only hope is that I'll lose like 15 pounds on this trip and then just be like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean, I'm still, my coach has giving me some, just like body weight exercises mm-hmm. and I'll bring one of those like hanging, hang board things to just try to stay some, try to stay some kind of body yep. awareness on, but it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause all of July, I feel like I've always been doing the wrong thing. If I'm training for Lotus in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, I should really be like in the gym training for worlds. And if I'm in the gym, I should be, man, I'm really, I'm needing to get more pitches in for Lotus. (laughs) So
0: when you, when you said yes Mm -hmm. to the Lotus trip, what was the moment like when you realized that, Oh, I'll be getting home a week before worlds.
1: I think I said yes to Lotus before I realized I was going to worlds again. Right. Yeah. Um, so I thought Paris was it. And then on off championship years, I've been doing a world cup. So I thought Paris, I was done no more international, mm-hmm. but then they added a world cup in Scotland and I love Scotland. And, um, I was just like, okay, one more. That's an excuse to go to Scotland. Yep. And then I actually, I, I won that one by accident. Um, it was a merged category. So there weren't enough female army amputees to compete. So they merged us with, um, another category that has people with MS, people that have like, they have a leg, but it doesn't work right. Um, in all arguments, a category that was much stronger than mine. And right. so I was just like, that's cool. I'll compete. You know, I won't probably won't even medal, but then I ac- accidentally won it. And that was such a rush to be like, it was a real competition too. I went into finals and fourth. Yeah. Um, and all my comps before I've just been like writing first the whole time. Right. And so to have that like come from behind, like real competition feeling, I was just like, Oh,
0: Stoke the fire. that is
1: cool. So maybe, maybe I'll give worlds one more shot. Cause mm-hmm. Paris was a three-way tiebreaker. So, I won, but it wasn't like a good win and, right. and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, somewhere between saying yes to Lotus and everything, I was just like, I'm not done, and and it's my chance to really get out there as well. Like, because the film did go international, and it's yeah. just another way to like represent the community. Well, is to go keep keep going to Worlds. Um, so this yeah, this would have been a bad year to quit. But yeah, and you
0: don't feel like it's. We talked the other day. You don't feel like you're done going to worlds or done with the competitions yeah. after this year? No,
1: I think I'll always be, I, when I finally am done competing, um, I'll probably transition to a coach role. Like I would love to work with USA climbing to do an adaptive coaching certificate and, yeah. and things like that. Um, but I'll always be a climber. Like if anything, not competing, we'll just free up more of my time to project hard outside
0: mm-hmm. and you'll be team mom and just. I'll
1: always be team mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Just baking cookies and
1: yeah, making sure everybody has their sweaters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. So you brought up something interesting that they combined the categories mm-hmm. and and as a total outsider for paraclimbing competitions, it seems like it could become very unfair very quickly. Yeah. Is that a word that's even used in these circles?
1: You know it is, and it's it's up to each athlete to decide how they want to take it. Most athletes and the region they the reason they merge instead of cancel because IFSC's own rule is safe. There's less than six participants or four nationalities, the category does not run, and that's for Lead Speed and Boulder too. They don't have that risk in Lead Speed and Boulder, but like that's the rule. Right. Um, and so for the last World Championships, they ended up canceling almost half the categories. Which represented 60 athletes. Wow, just a lot of athletes, but like each of those categories had they five. They just get
0: canceled totally. Yep,
1: they were not able to compete, oh, and so shit. Um, as a community, that upset us obviously. Yeah, and then we were just like, we're a young enough sport that we would rather compete in an unfair competition mm-hmm. than not compete at all. Because at least you know, if someone in a wheelchair is competing with someone that has use of their core and one of their legs. Someone else in a wheelchair is seeing that on the TV or seeing photos of it, and then they'll be more inclined to join. So the, the representation and yeah. visibility, it's such a young sport, it's still huge. So by just canning the categories or, or boycotting because it's not fair, it's not helping grow our sport. Right. Um, so I would say like 95% of the athletes would much rather get merged and they still try hard. And maybe you can do what I did and accidentally win, even though you were in the more disabled category that got merged.
0: Right. Right. You never know
1: what's going to happen. Every every route set's different, so
0: sure, you never know. And how do they? How do the categories work? Because it seems like it would be really easy for someone to say a below the elbow amputee has the advantage over and above the mm-hmm. elbow amputee. So are those different categories?
1: Beep the framework is there for it. Um, so right now the most common categories so says men's and women's, you have upper amputee and lower amputee, um, and lower amputee, you could be missing one leg or both legs above knee, below knee. Sure. And upper amputee. Um, there is a different category for someone who's missing above their elbow versus below, but those almost always get merged. Right. Um, mm. Although, actually, it might be someone who is a shoulder dysartic, which means they have no arm whatsoever. Because mm. even if you're above your elbow, you might still have a stump that can right. help you pull on. Yep. But there's a couple athletes that have 100% no arm. So they're just dead point to dead point to dead point. Wow. And they end up getting rolled into mine. And it's not fair, but they're just like... And I think those athletes know, like, the odds of having six no-armed climbers from right. four countries, like, <laughs> yeah. it's really low. But Yeah, and
0: the more you break it down, the less likely it becomes that you'll meet that six-person minimum. Yeah,
1: and and I think they'd also rather be, like, I, I know I, I've had small categories for my entire career, and I would much rather be, like, fifth out of 20 people than second out of five Sure. So I, I'd i rather compete at a disadvantage with a bigger category. Um, so yeah, so there's upper and lower. And then there's visually impaired, which is three different categories based on how blind you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a spectrum. And so people that can see like some shapes and lights and colors right. have an advantage over someone that's totally blind. And sure. so they're broken out. Um, and then there's this category called limited range and power. It's a bit of a catch all, but it's, Someone that has a mess or someone that has an impartial spinal injury where they can gotcha. walk but their legs don't work that great or yep. maybe they need crutches to walk or they have Parkinson's, you know, mm. all, all sorts of stuff that doesn't fit in the others. Um, mm. And then there is seated. There's people that are in wheelchairs, have no use to the legs. Um, and that's that's another category.
0: Wow. Has there been a lot of um, dissent, so to speak, in the athletes and in the the categorizing, what's that look like? Yeah, it's
1: interesting. So like people like me that it's it's easy, I'm missing an arm, that's my category. I'm right. missing a leg, that's my category. Um, we're content. We're pretty happy. Even if like someone has the no arm, they get merged into mine. They're still like, oh, yeah, that's obvious. Like we're arm amps. Yeah. It's definitely the the neurological and the visually impaired where yeah, it's just Yeah, it seems like that, to, that's a
0: really broad yeah, category. Yeah, like
1: you can't look at someone and say, oh, you're this blind. Right. Um, at least for a VI they can have an acuity test, which is like, you know, you're 20-20, except mm-hmm. theirs is different. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, range and power is the hardest because the most abled group sometimes they don't even present like they have a disability that affects their climbing like totally they have a disability mm-hmm. but whether it affects their climbing that's why they're in like the lower category um and that's tough and then people want to be in the more disabled category to give them as much as an advantage as sure. they can and so they'll petition to get moved um yeah it's, it's really hard to define because it's not as easy as yep you're missing a leg
0: yeah and with you know with all <laughs> of the equality and equity talk Mm -hmm. that's going on in the industry now, which is a a conversation we need to have, Mm -hmm. you know, and is a valuable one. This, it's a whole nother level
1: when it comes to this. Yeah, and I think as a paraclimbing sport, as athletes, we have a lot of room where we can also just train harder. Mm -hmm. We can try harder. Um, We have a lot of folks that love climbing, love it passionately, but I think we're at this, it's going to be an uncomfortable growth period where we finally have our numbers up. We finally have lots of athletes. Uh, we're and still, support
0: behind and it Yeah, all. and
1: support behind it. Like, you know, USA Climbing, 100% bought in. IFSC is like 95% bought in on like para climbing is a thing. Um, and so now that we have all these numbers, it's time to take it from more of like a hobbyist sport yeah. to disabled athletes should be training <clears throat> just as hard as the, you know, the Claire Burfriends of the world and the Margot Hayes of the world. Yeah. You know, their training will look different for sure, but... You know, it's it's taking it seriously. And I think that's the next step for us is figuring out how to morph from what's largely a casual community into real athletes, especially if we're looking at possibly the Paralympics in 2024. Because mm-hmm. Paralympic skiers, they train. They go to training camp. They spend thousands of hours training. And that's going to be the next big step for us.
0: Yeah. And something I like that I admire about you is that you spend – quite a bit of time online asking questions about training researching training kind of figuring out the best ways for you to train Mm -hmm. in that time of looking for answers trying to find methods what have you found that and this could turn into something extensive but (laughs) what have you found that can stay the same for you Mm -hmm. as the way everyone else is training and how does it look different?
1: So I think um, it seems like the climbing community is pretty bought in on the whole periodization training. You know, we have three cycles, maybe Mm -hmm. four. Um, That doesn't change. Like the bigger picture stuff I've learned and I've broken down. It's like, it's the same. And it's not just for me as an amp. Like I think for all climbers, regardless of ability or disability, the big principles are the same. Where things get nitty gritty, it's like, you know, Say it's the time where you should be fingerboarding and campus boarding. That looks much different for me. So what are other ways that I can gain power without being able to really use a campus board, or without using a fingerboard the way you're quote unquote supposed to?
0: Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's something really interesting. And I remember this post on Facebook, I believe, um, that you said, and I hadn't thought about it from this perspective, because the easy answer would be, oh, well, you just do one arm hangs. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the... What's the big deal? But you're not getting the benefits in your left arm of hanging and strengthening the shoulder, and so how do you? You don't. You can't just do one arm hangs all the time.
1: Yeah, and the way most people get to one arm hangs is starting with two arms. Yeah. So it's like not only are you not working your disadvantaged side, but you're overstressing prematurely the one good side you right, have. <laughs> right. So for me, um, it's been a lot more cross training. So, a mm-hmm. lot more time lifting weights. Yep. Um, and a lot of that's injury prevention. So, my right shoulder does get overworked. So I do have lots of problems with impingements. It's really easy to kind of throw it out, I would say more than the average climber. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I spend a lot of time doing that preventative PT. Um, and yeah, my weightlifting program, you know, when I first started working with coaches, they probably prescribed me the same program as everybody. Um, but then, as we've moved on through the years, it's like, no, I, I probably spend 30% more time than the average climber who's training lifting weights.
0: Sure. Yeah. Just I mean, just to try to stay balanced. That makes sense for <laughs> sure. Um, did you find a solution to the, the hangboarding issue? Are you able to figure out some way to hang? Yeah.
1: So it was actually finding the right board, um, mm-hmm. helped the, uh, I'm using the beast maker right now. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's soft enough on my skin Um, And it has a deep enough pocket. So it's like on the wall when I'm climbing, I have really strong fingers. Like I can stick on things. But when it comes to like dead hangs on a fingerboard, I still need the really deep pocket to just hang unsupported. Um, So finding the right board helped a lot. Because otherwise, like I was using the Rock Prodigy and it was just too painful. It was too sharp on, on the edge even after filing it down or trying to file it down. Yeah. Um, so it's just a lot of experimentation. And, you know, I've finally, after years, figured out how I can do pull-ups. Like, mm. my pull-ups are always offset. And sometimes I just do the one arm with the band. But, um, you know, one arm with the band, yeah, your left shoulder's not getting that workout either. Yeah. So I've, I've probably ordered dozens of every weightlifting hook strap, ab strap thing you can find right, on Amazon right. to just, like, try to see what works. <laughs> um, but it's, it's gotten there. The last five years especially, like, once I started... Competing and taking that seriously—that's when I was like, okay, it's time to finally like not just climb and think I'm training by climbing, but it's time to actually go upstairs to that weight room and, and plan the fingerboards and and try it. Like, you know, I still don't moonboard. Moonboarding's pretty much on my can't list. But, yeah, sure. <laughs> but like, you know, for example, so for you know, power sessions, um my gym will just like set me spe- set me specific boulders. Yeah, I was just
0: about to ask that. Is there? So I have figured out training through setting? climbing,
1: but it's like super intentional. Yeah. I can't just wander around and be like, Oh, my fingers are tired. So that must count for a finger workout. It's like, right. no, we have like very specific things we, we do.
0: Oh, that's really cool. What does the setting look like? Why is it different than normal setting?
1: So for me, it's usually about reach. Um, so I always challenge mm-hmm. my setters to be like, I want you to set a route that's 512 for everybody, but that's still something I can do. Yeah. Um, so there'd be a lot of it, like, especially... So for me, I can on-site most low 11s in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's some, like, mid-10s I just... I cannot do. Sure, yeah. Which is, you know, similar for everyone. Yep. But I think for most abled people, it's a tighter window of what they can and can't do. Right. Where for me, it's like, I could, you know, have no problem on a 12 minus, but there's a 10B that I'll never do. Right. So for me, that that can and can't is much further apart. Like, yeah. it's a total crap shoot.
0: Because there's a very specific...
1: Yeah, or like in the style too. Like, obviously, I'm much better technical dead vertical climber, and there's like 10 a's on the big overhang lead wall at the gym that I just cannot make my way through. Right, right. (laughs) So, so it depends, Mm. but, um, yeah. I mean, it was really fun. Like our head setter saw my film and I came in the next day and there was like a stump jam set on a boulder problem. He hmm. was like, yeah, I heard you say that number cool. ones are perfect. So I put these two flat holds together and there's a stump jam for you to climb <laughs> off of. And I'm like, that's amazing. I almost never get to stump jam in the gym. So. Yeah, totally. No, but, um, that,
0: that's really cool. And the reach thing is something interesting. Um, I had worked with a below elbow amputee for a while mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and John, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, I worked with John for a while, and his his reach was something I hadn't considered mm-hmm. because you can't, you don't really extend at the elbow almost ever when he's climbing. You know, he's almost always has to be cocked at the elbow.
1: Yeah, well, and that's where the whole vertical something. thing comes from. Like, yeah, yeah. If I'm on overhanging terrain, I'm always locked off on my stump elbow, right, to stay on the wall. Yeah, and then you add clipping to that, then I'm like locked off or like eight seconds not just a quick move Mm. so yeah the reach is extra strong i don't know so i climb a lot sideways yeah so i'll get lots of really high feet or like one high foot and then do lots of like you know sometimes i have an advantage i can push down with my stump on vertical terrain on a super small foot chip Mm. and kind of like post off of that like go from a gaston into like making my reach as long as i can so i'm i'm negative 13 ape index Um, (laughs) (laughs)
0: but
1: but i still um i try to climb long yeah um and i I don't think that was an aware like an awareness in that style i think it's just something i've developed through my climbing like yeah
0: it's a necessity yeah
1: and I'll do like they call it mo beta it's just like Mm -hmm. someone will be like well that's what I did but it's not what you're gonna do and I'll do something weird and funky and there's usually eight foot moves to every one hand
0: but well that's cool I mean I think that's one of my favorite things about climbing actually is how many solutions to a a lot of the problems Mm -hmm. that there are and and once you learn a specific set of movements and balances then then you can start to see it. Do you see the mo beta and are and do you have any climbing partners who have started to learn yeah. mo beta?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, my best partners, it's usually when it comes down to leading, because I'll throw myself on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially outside, um, I'll usually have someone hang the draws. I'm usually never putting draws up again because the whole reach thing. It's sure. like, that would suck yeah. if I get up there 10 feet above the last bolt, and I can't reach the bolt. So yeah. So they usually do the first lap, and I'll be like, hey, what do you think about that for me? And my best partners, you know, most of them are like, you'll be fine. But then the greatest ones are like, you know, you can do it. But you might not have fun because like, right. it's mostly from a reach thing. It's usually leading in reach and they're just like, yep. I found myself fully extended or this clip was really left and I'm not sure you can clip it with your right. And mm-hmm. They just have this extra awareness. I don't think they think of the actual moves because they know I'll just figure it out. Yeah. Kind of. I have a couple mm-hmm. partners who help me pick projects because they're just like, yeah, I think this has moves you would like or is it a style you would like. But, <laughs> but yeah, especially the gym, they've my best friends have like given up on trying to yell beta at me because they know it just right. doesn't sure. work. Just <laughs> sure. Just like, I, I'm
0: sure there are still it some, turns into just yelling. some idiots in there yelling beta. They mean well, but, but um, yeah.
1: I'm eventually <laughs> actually, you know, what's funny is Cedar was one of those guys. Oh, when, really? When I was working my project outside, he was filming and he would be like, do this, do this. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think you understand, <laughs> Yeah, I'll figure it out, but it's gonna be different than you think it will be.
0: <laughs> That's really funny.
1: So that was a learning, learning curve for him, I think, but yeah, it always looks different. Um,
0: That's one of the things that I pride myself on is being able to understand the box that different people climb in mm-hmm. after watching them for a little while and understanding what beta is going to work for them um, rather than just thinking everyone can use my beta. Yeah. You know, that would be a really interesting, fun thing to do. I'd love to watch you climb for a while and well, see if I could understand the box. And what's fun box. is,
1: like, while I'm climbing, my coach doesn't even give beta, unless I'm, like, blatantly missing a hole that sure, I'm not Sure, 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 yeah. But, like, he never talks me through movement because I think even he's just, like, I can't tell her anything. Like, right. But what he will do is identify my weakness. He'll be like, I yeah. see what you're trying to do there, and I mm-hmm. think if we worked on this. Yeah, and that's the important
0: that. part of it. So Yeah. That's that's really cool. A question I asked John when I was working with him that it sounded like a really dumb question. And I you know, I prefaced it with that. <laughs> like this is gonna sound really fucking stupid. But Have you ever just practiced climbing with one arm? Like, is that something you actively work on? I mean,
1: kind of. Um, Whenever I try to do that, like, pretend I have literally one arm, I usually hurt myself. Gotcha. Um, Because I still use, even if I'm just bumping right over and over because the hold suck for my left, my left is still usually engaged somehow. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, like, the last time I tried to just huck, I, like, blew up something in my elbow or something. Yeah. So what I'll do instead, because it is great training, because, like, yeah, sometimes I'll come to, like, a series of pockets that my stump don't fit in. And so it's just bump, 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 bump. Yeah. So I'll just purposefully pick out routes like, routes like those that I know I'll hate because mm-hmm. they're going to really wreck me. But it's, like, a safe way to push that.
0: Yeah. I think something like a campus board with feet would be a really safe, easy way to progress through it, too. Yeah. You know, just bumping on campus jugs and then moving down slower and maybe even putting something on precise, like, pockets or the precision becomes a yeah. big part of it. That could be really yeah, fun and cool. My,
1: my, 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 my fingers are pretty strong and my precise dead points are, are pretty good. I would say that's actually strength yeah. because I do, I often end it, it's like a rifle style where I'll get like high feet and then mm-hmm. just have to stand up and go and stick. Yeah, And it's never a dyno. I'm not a dino or I'm not a jumper, but it's sure. it's big static moves. That yeah. to someone is just a normal reach, but I have to usually mm-hmm. overcommit.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's so cool to take what I've enjoyed about rock climbing, that there are different solutions for different mm-hmm. people, um, and then completely change the box that someone is climbing in pretty radically, and to still see that there are solutions
1: yeah so one thing i'll do a lot too that scares my partners is if there's something that's maybe a left gaston or there's like a left something yeah. that is just not working for my left i'll kind of fall into it with right more. so it's like a lot of core i'll end up using a lot of core because i do grab holds backwards mm-hmm. or i'll grab a left hold with my right and fall into it and i guess sometimes my partners like i'll often be leading when I'm doing that and they're just like oh geez, like there she goes (laughs) but instead I like stick the move and
0: right and and it's just you creating your own movement to work around this this box that you you're forced into
1: yeah I mean it's like (sighs) Climbing is kind of cool because in the end, like everyone has an advantage or a disadvantage. Yeah. Like Someone who's really short might actually have the same wingspan as me. Yeah. They have, you know, they have more fingers, but you know, they're going to have to come up with different beta than someone who's really tall. Yep. And that's just kind of cool because like, you know, the routes don't care. They're not going to treat me different because I have totally. one hand. So, yep.
0: Yeah. I just climbed with a guy last week who's been a client of mine for a long time and While I had climbed with him before in the past, I hadn't ever really realized how tall and long he (laughs) is. He's six foot seven with a plus five.
1: You didn't notice how tall that was? I
0: mean, I noticed it, but it never occurred to me that he's got a seven foot wingspan.
1: Oh my word.
0: It's insanity. I
1: might believe that could be a disadvantage on some climbs. Uh, Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you said, we all have an advantage and a disadvantage. And it's interesting that oftentimes it all sort of evens out. Um, before we kind of wrap up here, because I know you've got things that you've got to do too, but because grades are such an interesting, infuriating topic to discuss, <laughs> yeah. period, I would love to just know your take on how you deal with grades. Because mm-hmm. like you said, there are going to be 10 B's that you can't do Yeah, because they're just going to be impossible for you. So.
1: I had a question a while ago. I was just, I was feeling really strong. And I think, I think it might've been Cedar. And I was just like, how strong do you think I would be if I like popped a hand out tomorrow? And all—all all <laughs> right, right. he was just like, you know, probably like, probably mid thirteens. And I'm like, that's cool. Cause I'm not even training right now. Like, I guess yeah. I just have like the movement maybe without having to be that strong. And that was kind of like, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so grades kind of can't, Matter to me in that I can't judge a route by its grade. I can't get upset because there's a five nine, I can't lead. Like, I just, there's no room for that. That said, as a climber who likes projecting and pushing myself, I love grades. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's another thing that's like not cool to talk about. Like, it's like not cool to chase grades right now. You're supposed to be everyone's supposed to be a soul climber, right? Right. Like there's so much <laughs> yeah. pressure to not care. But yeah, I care. not Solely for the 8A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're not Andra, you should just be in it for the love of climbing, not care about right. your grades, is like the, the cool thing to say now. But I love grades. I love being able to say, I can do that. Like, yeah, they I, represent I've
0: a challenge.
1: Yeah. And like, <clears throat> yeah, I was, I picked that 512 because I was great hungry. I was like culturally a five, your first 5'12, like. Even though I've been a real climber for a long time, and with one hand, five tens probably five twelve. I was just like, this is a universal grade that yeah. people will be like, okay, she can do that. Mm-hmm. That's probably the wrong reason to want a grade for other people, but whatever. It pushed me, and
0: yeah, and I got it. And that's what's so important. <laughs> if you find a reason to push yourself, and then you do push yourself, that's that's the thing that people are trying to sidestep when they say don't chase grades. They're trying to. They're trying to make sure that you can't. Just give yourself an easy way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think they fail to realize that a lot of the people who do pay attention to the grades use them as a way to find more challenges. Yeah. You know, and so for my money, I think chasing grades is perfectly fucking fine. Well, it helped me
1: feel like even though probably the only person who cared was me, but it did help me feel like legitimized as a climber. Like, sure. Even though I had won a world title, and all this other stuff like that was, it helped legitimize me. Um, but then again, I also, like, I don't think less of someone that can't do a 512. Like sure. if a five, nine, if that's your project, like that's incredible. I, I get more excited about someone who did their first five, nine than someone who did their like second 515 or third 515. Right. Like I just think the genuine joy of the, the first, Mm-hmm is really cool
0: yeah would you say that that 512 what was the name of it
1: days of future past
0: days of future Long past year, yes. oh It's a cool name <laughs> what uh would you say that's your proudest climb or are there others you know, that you'd consider
1: i think i'm proudest of the process because mm. i should have given up months before like right. in the end it might not have been the right climb for me to do um i honestly didn't that's know a I good
0: definition of projecting the
1: i should have i should have given up <laughs> yeah. months before yeah well, and like, honestly, because it was in the film, like I had to do it. And that was good. Like I would have if it weren't being filmed, I probably would have walked away mm-hmm. thinking I couldn't do it. That um, held you accountable. Yeah, it held me accountable and through that process. Now I'm like, holy shit, I, I can do this. Like, oh, it was a total beat into submission style of projecting. Like I siege that thing. Yeah. But I did it mm-hmm. and it would have been easier not to. And yeah, I discovered I had that in me. I didn't know until then. So, yeah. So in the end, that whole exercise has probably prepped me for this big Alpine trip. Totally. Like, hey, if I can stick on that stupid eight foot section for six months, I can stack up and push through 18 yeah. pitches.
0: <laughs> and your bipolar world championship goal after that.
1: Yeah. Why not? Right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: and that dude's scooter. I totally need one of those things.
1: Is it convertible?
0: Like. I don't know. I've never seen one of those. Yeah. He
1: looks happy. It's like
0: a fold up <laughs> Yeah. powered scooter. The things
1: you see at OR. I
0: know. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you a ton for taking the time awesome. to sit down with me and I can't wait to hear how the trip goes and I'll, I'll swing down to Boulder and we can chat yeah. again afterward.
1: Yeah. And hopefully Jim and I are still friends and we'll be planning yeah. the next trip by then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks Mo. Recently, when I was at CWA, I was having these sort of repetitive conversations with uh, Boone Speed and Typhus and Jared Roth and Obi Carrion about just how we've all sort of carved these niches for ourselves that have adapted over time and and we're all still here. We may not be doing the exact same things that we first made our names for, um, but we're all finding a path that we really really love and enjoy and that's something about Moe's story that I really love that you know she kind of came into climbing with this you know people say I can't do it well fuck you I can and and I I definitely resonate with that attitude um, but then she really loved it and continued doing it and and the whole Definition of adaptive has changed for her, and and now she's becoming other things herself. You know, this adventurer who's who's getting way out of her comfort zone, and and she's also become this advocate for adaptive competitions. Um, she's kind of become the de facto voice, whether she likes it or not and um i just admire that uh, allowing things to change Um, so that was part one part two we're gonna sit down not in a crowded hallway but instead at a campfire in the red river gorge with a bunch of moe's friends and a couple of bottles of bourbon and um talk about how the trip went part two is out right now right there in your pocket supercomputers if you have subscribed to the power company podcast which of course you have and if you haven't shame on you subscribe and just to make up for not subscribing grab your friends phone and subscribe them too it's only the right thing to do also right there in that pocket supercomputer of yours you can find links that will speed you through the internet Straight to the Instagrams and the website of Mo, who, by the way, was named National Geographic 2019 Adventure of the Year. But we all know that's second to her being on the Power Company podcast. And uh, you can also find us at powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Facebook and the Instagrams and the Pinterest at Power Company Climbing. You can search for us on Twitter. Mo is actually on Twitter. However, she hasn't posted anything since 2017 because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This <laughs>
1: time, <laughs>